This is The Lonely Office, your playbook for navigating the messy line between work and life. Our topics are sourced from real anonymous workplace conversations happening within Glassdoor communities. From AI taking white-collar jobs to talking politics at work, we discuss timely work-life issues so you don't have to brave the professional world alone. Matt, I got an anonymous tip from a listener. Okay. He says, you got to check out this controversial post referencing TBWA New York. Now, this is a prominent advertising agency located in New York City. Our listener's tip actually led to something. And it was this post that was getting a lot of traction on Fishbowl, and it reads, It finally happened. Had a call yesterday that told me, basically, come to New York or find another job. Omnicom Agency. Anyone else? The post is saying, if you're remote, no matter where you live, move here, work in person, or you're canned. And I find other posts, like this one that said, simply, Omnicom Group Walkout Day is Tuesday, April 18th. Little did I know, after receiving this anonymous tip, I'd be turning into Geraldo Rivera. (laughs) I'm following breadcrumbs now. I got the cigarette going, right? I'm in a dark room. Next thing I know, I find another post that says, just got laid off from my role, probably due to the walkout that I helped coordinate. Oh, wow. And this is all on Fishbowl. This is all on Fishbowl. A lot of this is alleged. But here's my takeaway from this whole thing, Matt. If you're a remote worker, should you be taking note of this? Because the stakes seem to be getting higher, and we may be heading into a new normal. Get back to the office or you're fired. Really great investigative reporting, (laughs) I guess, Aaron. (laughs) Seems like you're trying to play the, the sleuth <laughs> role. You did a pretty good job there. Geraldo Rivera, I don't know how many of our listeners are going to recognize that name. Am I showing my age? Maybe to start here, this is really interesting. I think you hit it on the nose. This is a case of maybe the first case of enforcement where we've all been hearing these companies, tech companies namely, and financial services companies, Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan and Sundar at Google, and you kind of name the firm, all saying, hey, you need to get back into the office. But we haven't heard any cases, at least I haven't read any cases in the media, about employees being fired for not coming back to the office. And so this seems to be, or allegedly, the first case of enforcement now where a company's taking action and beyond just yelling at their employees and saying, you better get your ass in the office. I think this is a really interesting story, perhaps that's breaking here on Fishbowl, and maybe just give a lay of the land because this is kind of industry specific, at least in as far as the company in question here is an agency that's part of a large ad holding company agency called Omnicom. Omnicom is one of what's considered five, maybe six of the biggest ad holding companies internationally. To put it in perspective, they've done collectively, I think, around $15 billion in revenue approximately across all of their agencies. But The way it works is these big ad holding companies own sometimes dozens, sometimes hundreds of agencies that all report to the holding company. And so one of the agency networks or agencies that belong to the Omnicom group allegedly is putting this enforcement into play, allegedly saying, hey, you better get in the office or you're fired. And what's interesting here is how this can play out for the other ad holding companies. If a typical ad-holding company employs 80,000 employees, there's a good number of employees that can come into question. So I think we have the perfect guest for this topic today with Leah Ova, recurring 
guest contributor. Layover operates a humor working mother's account on TikTok and Instagram, over 150,000 followers. She's been interviewed by the media on topics having to do with corporate life and corporate humor. And she happens to be a veteran of the advertising industry over 15 years across numerous agencies. So she'll have a great perspective. I don't know why, but this intro is making me really nervous now. I don't usually get nervous. So much pressure. <laughs> Matt's getting better at these. I think I'm getting better. That's what's happening. <laughs> Remember we used to make fun of him? Yeah. Now he's changed the game. Now he's coming in hot with these great intros. But yes, I've worked for three of the five or six big holding companies. Havas and Dentsu, I think, are always kind of at the bottom of the list. But I've also worked for Omnicom and WPP. And then there's publicist or is it publicist? I never really know. For advertising firms, they have the worst names. Like they're hard to say. Oh. <laughs> advertising firms are notoriously bad at advertising themselves. I mean, look at their websites. With that background in mind, the stakes have been made higher because enforcement is happening now, allegedly, agency or agency network within Omnicom that could have implications for other agencies within Omnicom and then agencies across other ad holding companies and then potentially be a, an example for other companies and other industries to follow. Who knows how these dominoes fall? And the question we've had recurring on this show, does remote work work? And we've talked about Nick Bloom from Stanford. He's a resident expert on studying remote work. And I guess he's just dedicating his craft and his career to this topic. So he has another recent survey and study that he did with some really interesting points. That I'd love to just like mention one or two. The first one, and this probably goes into the negative downside, the number of people playing golf midweek <laughs> has more than doubled <laughs> since 2019. The story being people used to go before or after work or maybe on the weekends, but now apparently have a lot of time, newly found time midday, midweek to go golf. And so Nick Bloom studied this and he just found a lot more people playing golf midweek. So maybe we start there in the negative camp. Are we playing hooky quite a bit? And maybe that's the reason remote work doesn't work. Do you golf, Leah, is the question. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely don't golf. I have been on a call with someone before, and I won't say what department, because I don't want to out the person. And they were apparently playing golf, which they admitted to me later. They were like, the reason I had to jump off the phone is because my buddies I was playing golf for were like, dude, come on. <laughs> There's definitely people who do it. I also always want to ask the question, did they have that time before, but they were just sitting around putting in FaceTime in the office and not really? Now are they more efficient on their <laughs> during their non-golf periods during the day? I guess golf is a suspicious one because I'm like, that's not just like an hour to go out and eat some lunch and take a run or whatever. If you're a salesperson or executive, how, how often do you say, oh, I took a meeting, meaning they talk shop while playing golf? Yeah, you could be doing a lot of business. Yeah, you're talking. It's leisurely conversation and it develops organically. I've only golfed a few times, but 18 holes, you could be out there two, three, four hours if you're walking the course. But even if you're in the carts, you're kind of going around and you got the cigars and you're talking. And then you stop at the clubhouse at noon, grab a hot dog, maybe some relish, right? Sit down, have a few beers. This is a business meeting. So one of the other points Blue made here that if you look at the workforce, he kind of studied it and he found that Almost 60% of the U.S. workforce, around 58%, don't have the ability to work from home at all. So there's this almost privilege of sorts that exists where we just assume, no, 60% of the workforce are working in a factory or a healthcare facility. They don't have that privilege. But of the 30% that can, 
work from home or in a hybrid capacity. These are professional knowledge workers, right? And before the pandemic, 5% of the workforce worked from home. In the height of the pandemic was 60%, but it seems like it's stabilized now around 30%. And I think that's interesting because there's been this conversation of, well, maybe this is just a pendulum. Maybe all this remote work is just an extreme reaction and we're going to go back to the steady state of 5 or 10% of the typical U.S. workforce. And what his study is showing is, no, it's actually the opposite. It seems like it's leveled and stabilized around 30% in some of the separate U.S. Census Bureau stats that we've talked about before. It's around 30 million U.S. knowledge workers who are doing this remote work from home. It's a big contingent. And that size means something, right? It makes it that much more difficult for an Omnicom or a Google or any of these companies. I think what's interesting back to this conversation is the enforcement that's happening here And is it justified or is this an overreaction? It's really hard because I see both sides. I mean, there's also a squeeze happening in the market right now where I think Omnicom is probably looking around saying there aren't a bunch of competitive jobs. So we're going to just force our hand on this one and get people allegedly (laughs) to come back in or tell them they're going to lose their job. Because frankly, when Elon Musk did it, a lot of people were like, great, peace, (laughs) we're out with Twitter. So I don't know if at this point where the market is now, there's just a bit more fear. So they think they will be able to get away with it. I do have a friend at an independent agency who was living outside of San Francisco during the pandemic. And they told her, you have to come back or you will lose your job. And I think it was only like two or three days a week. And she said, okay, I'm not coming back. So you tell me when my last day is, and I will resign, which she did. I am so curious if they actually would have gone through with laying her off or firing her if she hadn't voluntarily resigned. Was she local? I feel like I think she could have uh, called their bluff. Well, she used to be local. Right. Was she in the diaspora, the area of San Francisco? No, in one of those tax-free states. Uh, (laughs) One of those. So that's what I'm saying. That's the dynamic here, though, Matt and Leah, is that if you're remote and you've been working for a certain period of time a long way away and a state away, the ask is extremely heavy to uproot your life. We all have kids. You know what that's like. That's a big deal. It's not just, oh, if it's down the street, that's different. We're talking about moving and flights and school districts. I didn't move out of the city, so maybe I'm being unfair. I feel like the people who did, though, weren't necessarily under the impression that they would be able to remote work forever. It wasn't like any, at least any agency I worked at, they didn't tell us like, hey, we're remote working, and if you want to remote work forever, no big deal, feel free to move to Utah. That's a great point. Maybe people did get explicit permission to remote work forever. They probably definitely covered their bases. Yeah, I doubt they made it open. But what's interesting, maybe to add to this conversation a bit, is there was a journal article out recently where they were talking about the increased amount of relocation packages, dollar amount being offered for employees who are now being rehired. Since the pandemic, it's almost two and a half, three years, there's been enough time for a turnover cycle to happen, which means you get laid off, you're getting rehired. Well, a lot of those folks getting laid off are folks who've actually moved, right? They made the move to Florida, to Texas, to Salt Lake City, and now they're getting rehired. And those companies rehiring them in some cases are saying, yeah, we don't want you in Salt Lake City. We want you in New York, but we're going to give you this really cush relocation package, $5,000, $15,000 to relocate. 
And this article in the journal was just making the point that the size of the relocation packages were getting bigger to accommodate or to satisfy some of these folks who relocated to Salt Lake cities and the Utahs and all that places to, to come back to New York or San Francisco. This is not going to be a popular opinion. You get treated really poorly for the most part when you work at an ad agency. There's also this perception that, especially as a creative, it's a hard job to get. You should be happy you're there kind of thing. It's like being Anna Wintour's assistant or something. Right. I don't know, though. It does work from an atmosphere perspective if you're all together and sort of united as a team and working together and the strategists and the account people and the creatives and everyone's in a room brainstorming and working through things. Matt, when you were citing the statistics earlier, in the midst of COVID, right, where it became a necessity to work remotely, a lot of employees just kind of taking the gamble on that runway and going, you know what, it doesn't look to us, we're going back to the office anytime soon. Next thing you know, you move to Utah. Maybe the tug of war is really starting in this post-COVID world going, wait a second, okay, now I know you left, it's time to come back. And with that, I got the same question for both of you. Leah, you just hit on it. Does remote work work for you? I'm very social, but I also have kids. And so having sort of a more flexible schedule works really well for me for that perspective. So I think my ideal is going into the office sometime, not have someone on my back all the time because I always get my work done and I always end up working probably more than I should. So it's some sort of flexible schedule where I go in, but no one's micromanaging. That's the other thing. We're talking about a bunch of ad agencies who switched to unlimited time off because they didn't want to deal with managing when people were in or out of the office. So you're telling me they're actually going to be looking at like this person was in three days last week and this person was remote two days or whatever and riding people and having HR conversations about every single person in a massive holding company's schedule. I mean, in some offices that would be possible, but in a lot of offices... I'm skeptical that <laughs> they'll be able to manage that. This is an empty threat. You'd call the bluff here. I mean, that's a dimension we didn't even talk about, which is maybe this is just a bluff. Might be. The employee should call it. Because my anonymous friend who resigned was saying that there was a very strict, you need to be in the office this many days a week policy at the beginning, but apparently they haven't really been enforcing it. It's been very willy-nilly. Do you see why I've turned into an investigative reporter? The whole texture of this show is anonymous tips. Listen, this is the environment that this has caused, this next level of this enforcement, Matt. Does remote work for you in the current state that you're in, but also your perspective as an operator? I do think it's interesting for folks to start considering whether this is a negotiation ploy, right? This is an empty threat or bluff. And that's why I think there's a lot of important meeting in these first big company in this case, ad holding company examples of what happens because it is really going to set the precedent. So to your point, Aaron, the whole remote thing started out of necessity, but now it's gone beyond that and it's become almost an expectation of a right or at very least a deserved privilege. And just like driving is a bit of a privilege you'd have to get licensed on. You know, Maybe there's a future scenario where you have to earn the right to work remotely. But at the very least, I do think and judging from this example in the story where some of these employees are talking about people have settled into the fact that this works for them socially, personally, and professionally. They're convinced that they're doing work at a productive enough rate and they can balance. Now, going back to my situation, because I think you're asking like for me, yeah, I've long held, if you're like a mid-aged or mid-level professional, this is a great setup. I feel like I'm a better father than I've ever been because 
I don't have those commutes anymore. Some of that dead time that I would always justify by saying, I need to socialize a bit more with my coworkers or my employees, or I need to do this commute. You don't need to do that. I think there's a downside for the lack of socialization happening at the office space. We've talked about this, but in return, I've taken that time and I've repurposed it to my family. And I almost feel like I joke with my wife out the super dad of the year award. And then she, you know, scoffs me off. She's like, no, like, look at this father on Instagram, this father, you're still behind these guys right here. But that's a very privileged thing for me to say. And I realize that other people in earlier parts of their career, this is a detriment. I've long said that it's just really hard to develop a Rolodex and network and get to know people. And when you're just doing everything at a distance. Matt, I think you brought to my attention when Facebook made their announcement about layoffs, they had conducted some sort of study that showed that people who were hired remote performed at a much lower level than people who had been in person before and then shifted remote. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, they haven't been sort of indoctrinated into company culture. They haven't been trained. I don't think a lot of us knew how to train people who we hired during remote work, frankly. I mean, it was something that I really struggled with. Like, how do I teach this person all of our processes when they can't sit in on a call as a silent participant because you can see everyone who's on a Teams call or they can't sort of observe how we do things day to day. We operators, we use words like onboarding. Oh, we're <laughs> going to be onboarding these humans into our, and you just think about it, it's such a mechanical, sounds like it's a freight and you're onboarding packages. And if you're not onboarding them socially in person, then what are you doing? You're just listening to a seminar on Zoom about the company culture, 1984 style. Like <laughs> This is what we stand for. It's just it's dry. Bringing it back to ad agencies, you don't make a ton of money for the most part. You work long, crazy hours. The one cool thing is that you're working with all of these really cool, creative people in this very cool, creative space. And that's now taken away. I mean, on the other hand, working remote is a perk that you didn't have before, for the most part, in ad agencies. So I can personally understand why you don't want that taken away from you. I guess that movie about the creation of the Nike Air shoe oh, Jordan yeah, really is out. And that's, that. I've yet to watch that. I really watch that. The Ben Affleck movie he directed. The agency behind that, I believe, is the Wyden Advertising Company. And it's kind of like storied and historic, like the Just Do It slogan. And the story goes is that you got to get these really super creative, brilliant people in a room to come up with this these great slogans or taglines. Maybe that's why they need them in the office. You know, this is a perfect segue and that question. And also, I want to respond to that. And I'd love to hear Leia echo this as well. We were talking about remote work working. It works for me as a creative. It works for me. But I want to keep highlighting the human impact. I stated it before because we got a lot of humans listening to this, maybe some bots, but humans as well. (laughs) When you're asked to come back to the office, whether it's local or you're far away, there's human impact to that as a parent, your kids. So sometimes I feel like companies... Well, you talked about freight packages and machinery and industrialization. When companies make these decisions, I know there's Mm -hmm. hard decisions to be made, but I think oftentimes they really forego the human impact and the human benefit of what it is to be at home, be a better parent, have time to golf. Because A, it's golf, but it might be helping your day-to-day quality of life, which makes you in turn a better employee and things of that nature. But there's also the other human impact to being at home all the time. I just got kicked out of the house today. Bro, you've been in the house. I know you got a home office. You had the luxury of having, I'm paying for it, a satellite office. You never use it. 
you're always fucking home. You're walking around the house like a zombie with a cup of coffee and a robot. My point is, there is human impact on both sides, right? On the domestic front and with your family. The disruption. And the disruption, right? We talked yeah. about that, and I won't go too deep. So I just wanted to highlight that before I pivot. Can we double click on that, actually? My setting is one where I definitely changed in the middle of Manhattan and doing my thing, as a lot of people urbanites were doing, and daycare for the daughter. And I have a completely different lifestyle now out here in Dallas. If I was in the job market again, seeking a job, and I got an offer in a New York or in San Francisco or in whatever name, big X metropolis urban city, would I just disrupt my current lifestyle that I've acclimated around? It's very difficult. It's really, really hard to go back unless you're absolutely compelled for financial reasons. I don't know if you're in a similar situation. I mean, no, I I totally agree. That's why I was saying I'd love some sort of flexibility. The head of the holding group was talking to us all about how hard it was. And I was, I've met this guy. He has a wife who is a stay-at-home mom who I'm sure manages his children and his life. And it's easy for him to talk about how hard it is, but we all need to go back into the office because he basically has a life manager It's like someone junior bought a dog, say, during the pandemic. It may be for them to now be paying for a commute and for a dog walker because they're going to work long hours back in the office. That's a big ask for them that maybe someone more senior would be like, ah, just get a dog walker. If you need to go on business trips, just board your dog. I remember (laughs) complaining at some point about not having someone to watch my kids for a, a business trip. And my boss telling me that she needs to get her dog boarded too. So it's hard on all ends. I'm like, you can't like board children for 50 bucks a night. But anyway, I think people at Omnicom are probably highly irritated because it also speaks to, do you not trust us as adults to manage our own time? A lot of those elements have changed for people too. It's a disruption. I think you hit on it. How disruptive would it be if things had to kind of go back to the way things were? On that point of disruption, I think it kind of emanates maybe from a source, right? And the source is that choices oftentimes come from the top down. So the challenges people are facing on a daily basis with a new work setup, new family dynamics, inflation going off the chart, for the love of God, it's hard to live in Ohio. I can't imagine. I remember living in New York. I don't know how they live, (laughs) living above poverty line. So I think it's privilege. The privilege of being in the situation that you described, Leah, of someone who has their shit taken care of, but their prism is that prism. This is how my life is. So therefore, everyone else is like this. That's where some of those choices and that tug of war comes from. It's like, oh yeah, come back to the office. It's not as easy for everybody else. You're probably not even going to believe me, but in San Francisco, the poverty line for an individual is somewhere around 80K. (laughs) And so these junior employees are probably not at 80K yet. And they're the ones, to the conversation we were having earlier, who would probably benefit most from being in the office, bouncing ideas off of all of these senior people, being in the mix for training. But then we're asking them to live in a city that they can't afford because we don't pay them enough. It's a real catch-22. And then oftentimes the holding company is based somewhere that say, isn't San Francisco or isn't New York. I don't know what the poverty line is in in New York City, but I assume it's also pretty damn high. From a client perspective, let's say you're Fishbowl, you're Matt, you've got a million dollar contract with an ad agency. You want to imagine that the creatives are all in a room 
till 10 p.m. drinking beers, figuring out like what's going to put Fishbowl on the map next quarter. You don't want to think they're all sitting in rooms at home, hanging out with their dogs, taking midday naps or golfing. I think we're all familiar with the fictional madman and Diane Draper. He takes a nap on his sofa and wakes up and he has this million dollar idea. (laughs) He just clearly doesn't work that way. I imagine if there's a lot more collaboration happening, right? It's not a individual feat, this moment of inspiration, as much as what you said. It's like drinks, ping pong, maybe late night sessions. And then that inspiration, the just do it slogan appears or manifests itself. The difficult part about being a creative is you can't. They're always irritated with people like me who are trying to put a timeline on when inspiration is going to hit. But there's a lot of buildup that happens where you've got one team who's representing the client perspective. You've got another team who's really built strategy on all of the data we have. All of that is really important. And it is helpful to get those people in a room together. On the other hand, even during COVID, I spent really long Teams calls on with all of those people. And we did it remotely. And we were in different cities. And I know that at least one of my creative teams would meet and hang out in their backyard and brainstorm and work through Mm. projects together between an art director and a copywriter. So the the words person and the visuals person, there's a lot of benefit to being together, but I also think people don't want to be told what to do. Historically, it's been tough to work within an ad agency, especially as an entry-level creative and working your way up. When we've looked at terms like unionization on Fishbowl specifically, that word unionization, first of all, it's not very common at all amongst a professional knowledge worker class who are making one and a half X, if not two X, the salary of a factory worker. Nonetheless, if you look amongst the professional knowledge worker class, at least the way they speak on Fishbowl, the word unionization is almost always propagated by an advertising employee. Like you don't hear the tech employee, <laughs> the bankers, the financial employees, the rarely, but if you commonly hear it amongst the advertising folk. And and look, we know unions exist in Hollywood amongst the WGA guild, and apparently they're about to go on strike. And so there's obviously a bit of association there already happening with copywriting whatnot. But even beyond that, if you just look at even on the creative strategist level, like we do hear the word unionization fairly frequently being published on Fishbowl amongst that type at a frequency higher, definitely, than the other knowledge professionals. And maybe it's a function of salary. Maybe it's the fact that they actually are enforcing work from office, right? (laughs) But for whatever reason, they feel compelled to unionize more and then stage walkouts or alleged walkouts. Well, my guess, if there was an attempted Omnicom walkout, is that it would be very difficult to do because these holding companies own so many smaller agencies And they're all different types of agencies. So there's a media agency, a social media agency, or multiple creative agencies. People are treated and paid at different levels of unfairness across them. It's messy. Advertising is really messy. Right. Right. And there's no structure. It's even hard to prove probably inequity, how women are treated, how people of color are treated, even though it absolutely exists because there's not a set with consulting or investment banking, you have a set promotion and salary structure. And Mark Benioff has instituted that with Salesforce famously. It doesn't exist at all in advertising. You're like an octopus network of all these sub companies and agencies. And like, how do you standardize that? And do you even at all? And not only on a salary level, culturally, quite possible that some of the agencies within the Omnicom group are comfortable being demanded to work from office and maybe even desire it. 
But equally, there's probably a good amount of agencies where it's a cultural issue. For them, part of the culture is this maybe a proportionate or even extreme focus on work-life balance, which manifests itself in the right to work from home. And the moment you take that away from them, you get a cultural revolt, which is the most dangerous type of revolt at a company. People just walking out. Aside from pay, you got to buy in philosophically to a degree or morally or from a morale standpoint to stick around. And so it's a tough job. Each agency is going to have its own culture that will lean into stuff, work from home or not. We know there's angst in all industries, but how is it that much different from blue collar industries like manufacturing or services? And what I'm hearing, and at least what you're talking about too, from friends on Fishbowl, people talk about unionizing, but it never, ever... doesn't manifest. It doesn't manifest. (laughs) And here's great evidence going back to the post. You got this post on Fishbowl talking about that there's this walkout, right? And here's what I expected as I'm doing my investigating reporting. Then I'm going to see all of these posts of like, here we are, we're outside, we're going crazy, new wages. It's crickets. Dude, it's more than crickets. In fact, if you follow some of the comments in that post, uh, and I would advise anybody, jump on Glassdoor, jump on Fishbowl, find the cop. There's so much skepticism and hate from other ad folks going, this isn't going to work. What are you thinking? You're an idiot. And then the same person who's like, I think I might get fired because of this. Wait a second. You put billions of dollars at stake for a company or a holding company, and you don't think they're going to get mad? It seems like these attempts never come to fruition. And I'm always wondering why that is. Why doesn't it manifest? So it's a big world. It's an octopus system or however you put it, Matt, but it's also a really small world. People in London that I worked with have reached out to me and said, hey, we're hiring a dude. He used to work at the agency you work at now in SF. Can you ask around and see if we should? It's such a small world. People are a little bit afraid. If you do something that's going to piss people off, I mean, I would have a hard time as someone who likes to think of themselves as a rebel, I'd have a hard time doing a walkout because I'd be like, are we going to make client deadlines? Yeah. Am I going to be able to meet expectations if I stand up for what I believe is right? Which is sounds insane saying it, but I'd be like, oh man, is this just going to put more work on my plate? Matt, is this a Hollywood thing? It's a really hard industry to get into, right? Is the ad agency because it's hard to get into? Well, it seems like it's a Hollywood thing in as far as maybe a culture of retribution, right? I mean, it seems like if it's a small enough world and you step on the wrong toe. Just a single toe, Retribution is coming your way. I'm second guessing now everything I've said on this podcast. (laughs) I'm like, can you change my name and voice? If people are listening to this in the advertising industry and they're actually do desire to come up with a template, a union template that could work. Oh, they are, Matt. They're sending me tips. They're listening. The teachers union is incredibly effective union. And I'm not going to speak on the politics of that, whether I agree with some of the policies that they enact, the membership dues and all that stuff, but it is effective. And depending on the city, Chicago, I'm a Midwestern native, and we all know in Chicago, pretty much they single-handedly put into office the the most recent mayor. And so I'd imagine you could probably take some comps from some of the teachers union on how to structure an effective union if someone or a few leaders within advertising dare do that. I'm pro-unions, just to say, but I don't know, man. I think Gen Z is, they're going to be the ones to make bigger change. I think millennials were way too terrified of losing our jobs. All I could think about is when I was at that entry-level phase, it was 2008, an awful situation. And getting a job and keeping a job was paramount. And you'd find yourself just doing whatever you got to do. 
that's a tough spot. People here who are getting that call, that enforcement, hey, show up or you're fired. That's a tough decision to make. And then you have to ask yourself, are you willing to say no? Like you said, your friend, you know, is like, no, I'm done. What we have now that we didn't have in 2008 is the ability to create a life and a career in your basement. Now there is a population, a creator economy, right? That's actually starting to show a little bit of skin in the game, even just creating a personal brand to be able to leverage that with a company. I mean, so I think it's a little different now. And so the real power lies and the advantage lies with the workers right now. If they don't realize that, I think that's a mistake. Call their bluff. Don't go (laughs) back. Call their bluff. Let's get to work. If I'm an employee and I'm being asked to relocate back to San Francisco, let's just play this scenario out for a second. Let's say the agency is based in San Francisco. There's another stat shared this week by, uh, apparently it's the School of Cities within Toronto University. It's so interesting, some university of school of cities. Anyways, they studied cellular activity within all the major cities in the US since 2020 and to see the trend line. And at the very top, there was a positive trend line for Salt Lake City, 127%, meaning there's a net increase in cellular activity, which let's make the extrapolation here for a second, means there's booming happening. More people are coming to Salt Lake City. It's a cooler downtown, cooler city happening. At the very bottom of that chart, the very far outlier chart is San Francisco, 30% of cellular activity. The downtown is dead now it's in dead. San Francisco. People do not go downtown to go into the office. I don't want this to turn into a Fox News segment, but it is, it's a lot of, they're the homeless population and then people who booked the wrong hotel. And not right. The people who were there every day going into the office, eating lunch downtown, shopping at Anthropology during their lunch break, all of that, that it's gone. doesn't exist. That's my point. So if that doesn't exist and my company's mandating, demanding, giving me an ultimatum, come back to San Francisco to work in the office. I'm like, no way. Because I remember when I was a 20 something, one of the reasons I relocated to New York City was not just the job, but it was the the downtown is the culture that was being offered. And if that's gone, if that's no longer part of the equation, a lot of these agencies, companies have lost their trump card. San Francisco is a city. It's It's like Cape Town. It's a beautiful city. You're on the ocean. You've got the bridge. You've got the parks. The downtown is is not the most special part of the city. And you don't want to work somewhere that feels dead. And there were tons of people before who lived in the city and then commuted to South Bay, like commuted to Menlo Park or Sunnyvale, which is wild. I mean, it's a long way. Or, you know, took one of these corporate buses because they wanted to be in the city in the heart of everything that was happening. That doesn't seem to exist at all anymore. Here in the Cleveland area, it's not a regionalized city environment in the sense that there is a very small city limit. And then really, and a lot of the culture is happening in the inner ring suburbs, which are actually different cities, all these little municipalities. So what am I saying? I'm saying it depends on the city that you're being asked, because you could be going to a city where the downtown sucks and you don't want to go downtown and you actually want to live in the suburb because you can bounce around and get to these different places and pockets of culture that are interesting. So yeah, there is no real trump card here. Here's the reality, folks. You're calling us back in. We're not coming. (laughs) We're staying in our basement. I'm not coming. Bentonville, Arkansas is home to Walmart, a huge employer and company, maybe upwards of 100,000 plus. And I, for a short period of my time when I was in New York, I exploring some offers around Bentonville. And, you know, one of the reasons I decided against it at that time was, although it had some happening parts, it wasn't New York City, right? 
And so, yeah, I think it makes complete sense. People are going to analyze the the decision from all sides and facets. And, and that is, what culture am I uprooting myself for? Is this get back to the office or else thing a harbinger of what's to come for ad agencies? And on a broader scale, is this just kind of just the first sign we're seeing of this tug of war battle that's starting to emerge? I'm not surprised it's happening with ad agencies because there's such an emphasis on in-person collaboration with agencies. So that's not surprising to me at all. And I'm also not surprised that people are highly annoyed (laughs) about it because it's made their lives. If you're working late hours, at least you're already home at the end of it kind of thing. From what I can tell, it's happening with a lot of Bay Area tech companies. They're all Apple, Google, Twitter. They're all telling people, we spent a lot of money on this real estate. Get back in here. Come enjoy your free lunches. I mean, they want people back in, but they're not enforcing. Do you have to pay people severance if you fire them? I mean, is it, it seems like it's a mess. We have been going through months now of, of layoffs that tech firms have announced and I know from colleagues of mine, what's interesting about that is either prior or during those layoff rounds, they've sent out and circulated optional voluntary offers for people who wanted to leave and take this severance. And what's so interesting is a number of, at least my colleagues, actually chose to take them. Speaking to the point here, Aaron, of who has the power, I mean, it seems like we're still in a labor market where if people are willingly taking termination offers because there's generous severance package associated with it, it doesn't seem it's the right time to be demanding your folks, your employees to come back into the office. And it does seem like they will call your bluff. Connecting the dots here, as I have from the very beginning, as a newly minted investigative reporter, one of the things I can see here is we talked about unionization. If they hold the line with this enforcement, I wouldn't be surprised if you would see a formalization of more unions happening in the ad space. And if it's not just one agency allegedly doing it, what if more start kind of taking that stance? I wouldn't be surprised that we actually do see some successful walkouts, not just ones that are threats, because first it's a threat, then it materializes into a movement. Next thing you know, you have a successful union like the teachers union you were talking about tactically, right? So all the failed efforts up to this point, maybe this is the ignition that finally gets them over the hump. Well, look back at this post <laughs> okay. and be like, remember when historians are right. going back, they're like, first, the noise of frustration began to emerge <laughs> with people posting about walkouts. Although they never came to fruition, a spark lit a fire that can't be contained. No, walkouts should be terrifying for agency leadership. So even if it didn't materialize, I'm sure they had to hear about that. That had to be something that kind of freaked them out a little bit. So on the Harbinger piece, one take here, and this is partially from that same study we mentioned up at top from McBloom. It, it seems like this is here to stay. 60% of the workforce was working from home and now it's down to 30% is stabilizing. So I think companies are learning they're going to have to work around this unless they don't have to. And so if you were to ask me like, okay, what are the companies that who don't have to work around this and can actually act on the threat? I'm thinking of companies where offshoring is a legitimate possibility. What's interesting here is I think those professions that are more automatable or maybe now AI can play a role or you can offshore it to some IT company based in Asia. Yeah, they can act on that. But what's interesting about the agency world, in as far as the creative kind of capacity you're there, you know, more on the creative side, it's probably a harder job to offshore. There's just a lot of cultural aspects when it comes to, and I'm not a child of the industry, but like I imagine a lot of cultural aspects that it takes to come up with these unique slogans and ideas. 
Yeah, and you know the person in the room who's like, is this offensive in some way to some group? To, you know, right. I mean, you really do, right. though. You've got to have right. more than just this couple people in the room. You've got to have a diverse group of people there to really probe and question and make sure, is this going to get a reaction? Matt, maybe it's appropriate for me to close the show by saying, if you heard this episode, feel free to DM me or find one of us <laughs> off the podcast. <laughs> Send us your tips. Send us keep anonymous. And by the way, though, if you do send us a tip, please join us on the show. I'd love to have you. And we could keep it anonymous. But in all sincerity, we do appreciate the listeners who are reacting to the topics we're talking about. Glad it's resonating. And please keep the feedback coming. In all seriousness, this show topic itself was literally listener generated. So thank you for that. Hey, you made it. Thanks for tuning in to The Lonely Office. If you like what you heard, follow us on all major podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. And make sure and tap five stars and leave a review. I know everyone says it, but it actually helps others like you discover the show. Remember, the topics you hear us talk about on the show are sourced from Glassdoor communities, where professionals are having candid conversations about their careers anonymously with others in their industry. To be part of that conversation, download the Glassdoor app. And when you're in the app, make sure and join the Lonely Office Bowl. That's where we are. When you're there, you can suggest a topic idea or an episode idea, or you can make it more formal and email us at thelonelyoffice at glassdoor.com. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.